Mark Few and the Zags seem keen on adding another guard with one of their open scholarships. Could a familiar foe in Alabama's Javon Quinterly be the man for the job? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. We're going to hear from head coach Chris Gerlison of the San Francisco Dons and his thoughts about Mark Few and Gonzaga's rumored realignment to the Big 12. We're going to listen to that to close out the show. We're also going to talk about Vani Ejim getting named to Canada's senior women's national team in the FIBA America Cup, what that means for her. But before we get into any of that, we are still talking transfer portal here on Thursday, Locked on Zags. We're going to talk about another guard the Zags could pursue. We've seen a handful of high-level guards enter the portal late in the process. Cam Spencer, of course, went to UConn. Uh, we saw Kirk Creesa very briefly in the portal before he decided to pull back out and stay at West Virginia. Speaking of West Virginia, Joe Toussaint, we talked about him earlier this week on the podcast. Paul Mulcahy, also from Rutgers, like Cam Spencer. Mulcahy is another player the Zags have already targeted in the portal. And then we saw Javon Quinterly from Alabama, a player Gonzaga has played twice in the last couple of years. Uh, guys had some, a lot of success against Mark Few and the Zags. Uh, and he enters the portal as a grad transfer. Somewhat surprisingly, uh, Alabama's already lost a fair amount of guard depth this offseason. Jaden Bradley transferred out and went, of course, to Arizona to join Tommy Lloyd. And so it was a little bit of a surprise to see Quinterly enter the portal at this point. His numbers did drop last year. We'll talk a little bit about who he is. He's a six foot one point guard from New Jersey. And yeah, we will address the height a little bit later on. Uh, one of the highest ranked players to ever come out of the state of New Jersey. Five-star prospect, uh, started his career at Villanova, which I did not know until today, if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, started at Villanova in the 2018-19 season, uh, only played about nine minutes per game in 25 contests, about 3.2 points. Then he sat out the next season in 2019-20. That was back when you had to sit out when you were transferring away from a school. So he sat out as a redshirt transfer to Alabama. Then he spent the next three seasons playing at Bama under coach Nate Oates. Uh, in 2020-21, he averaged 25 minutes per game, about 13 points, three assists, shot 43% from deep. That was probably his, arguably his most successful season. The next season in 21-22, he played even more, 30 minutes per game. His points per game only went up a little bit. It went from 12.9 to 13.8. He averaged 4.2 assists, but only shot 28% from three. And then last year, because of an influx of talent in Tuscaloosa, he played a, a significant amount less. He came off the bench. He was kind of a sixth man, he played 21 minutes per game. Again, he was 25 as a sophomore, 30 as a junior, down to 21 last year in his senior year, went down to 8.7 points per game, still 3.6 assists, very solid distributor, shot 35.7% from deep. Uh, so for his career, he's about 10 points, three assists, and 34%. Uh, he started the final six games for Bama last year, though, and I think that's a key part of this, is that uh, he ended up getting benched to start the season. They put Jaden Bradley ahead of him in the depth chart. Of course, Brandon Miller, who wasn't really a guard, but kind of played a forward guard hybrid role for them, uh, took a lot of minutes as well. And so for, and then Mark Sears coming in as a transfer from Ohio, ultimately put 
put Quinterly, excuse me, on the bench. But by the end of the season, apparently at the behest of Jaden Bradley, the freshman, they told the coach, hey, you should start Quinterly. He deserves to start. And in the final six games of the season, including into the NCAA tournament, Quinterly started. And in those final six games, when he started, he averaged 13 points, 3.3 assists, and that three-point percentage ticked up to 40%. So in case there's any concern that the number the numbers dipping last year was a talent thing or even an injury thing, doesn't seem to be the case. It does look like a player who willingly accepted, and I guess we don't know all of the ins and outs, and of course him entering the portal could mean something, but appeared to willingly take a bench role. And then when asked to step into a starting role to resume the role he'd had for the previous two seasons, he seemed to be able to do that without any kind of hitch. That is a a pretty incredible ability and skill set to have. And I think when you're looking at a player to add to Gonzaga's roster right now, you're talking about a player who has that versatility to be a guy that you count on to do big things while also being a guy who maybe is playing more of a bench role, more of a behind the scenes role. Right now, we don't know who all is interested in Javon Quinterly. We know a few things. A full list of here are all the schools that he has heard from that we normally see from national beat writers like Adam Zagoria, Jeff Borzello, Jeff Goodman, etc. We have not seen that yet on Quinterly. We may not end up seeing that if he just chooses to go to one of the places that has reached out to him. But I think it's fairly safe to assume that a heck of a lot of programs have contacted Javon Quinterly. I would not be surprised, as I'm recording this right now, Thursday morning at 10 a.m., we have not heard a list and we have not heard any connection between them and Gonzaga. Unless there is, unless it is known that he is going somewhere, which is possible, I wouldn't be surprised if Gonzaga has made some contact here. They contacted Paul Mulcahy, who's one of the best point guards available in the portal. They contacted Joe Toussaint, who's a six-foot, sixth-man caliber point guard, pretty similar to who Javon Quinterly is in a lot of ways. So it would not surprise me if Gonzaga has at least put out a feeler phone call here. Uh, This is a list from my good friend, Tristan Freeman at Busting Brackets. Uh, He writes lists uh, frequently about the teams that he thinks should most be interested or or should pursue certain players. He wrote a list of eight schools that he feels should pursue Javon Quinterly in the portal. Uh, Illinois, Kansas State, who has been heavily involved in the West Virginia transfers and still seems to be very active in the portal market in general. Louisville, who has contacted just about everybody that has come out. Uh, Memphis, we'll talk about them momentarily. Miami, who has a lot of replacing to do with Nigel Pack, or excuse me, with Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller moving on to the NBA. Notre Dame, Rutgers and Seton Hall. Rutgers and Seton Hall make a ton of sense as they are both located in New Jersey, where Quinterly is from. Again, he was one of the highest ranked recruits in the state of New Jersey's history. So getting him back in the home state at either Rutgers or Seton Hall. Again, Rutgers, we talked about losing both of their point guards or both their guards in Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy. So they're pretty desperate to get some uh, veteran experience in there. Uh, Memphis is reportedly heavily in contention here. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if by the time you're listening to this, especially since it's coming out a little later on a Thursday, you might be listening on Friday. You might be listening on over the weekend. And it's possible that by the time you're listening to this, Javon Quinterly has committed to Memphis. That would not surprise me at all. It was a sudden addition into the transfer portal. We Shortly after we heard about that, we heard that Memphis was really on top of it. It almost feels like it was something that was kind of, there might've been some pieces moving ahead of time. I, again, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's no rules saying you can't do that for now, but it is something where I think that that the wheels could be turning in that direction. But I think there's some other schools that could, should, would, will get involved here, depending on, on, on the timeline here. Uh, to me, Georgetown makes a lot of sense geographically and just in terms of needing to put some talent 
on that roster under new coach Kim English. Rick Pitino has not been shy about adding every single player he is capable of adding. And if they could get Quinterly, I think that they probably would over at St. John's. A few others that make sense to me, Michigan needing some help in that backcourt after not being able to land Caleb Love. Uh, West Virginia could certainly use some more guards uh, if uh, especially if Toussaint doesn't end up returning to school. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, moving into the Big 12, they need an influx of talent and adding Quinterly. He'd probably be the best player on that team, and I think that that would be a nice addition for them to have there. There's tons of other schools, probably 200 other schools, that could realistically find a role for Javon Quinterly next year. He's a very talented player. Uh, but those are just a few that stand out to me. And then Gonzaga, of course. We're talking about Gonzaga here because there's a reason that this makes sense for Gonzaga as well. And I've talked about this. I talked about this with Joe Toussaint. I talked about this to an extent with Paul Mulcahy. Those of you who are everyday listeners have probably already heard me have these conversations. But it's a little tough to see a fit of a smaller guard joining a team that's going to play a lot of minutes for both uh, Nolan Hickman and Ryan Nembhard, both guys who are not particularly big. Uh, if Quinterly were to come, he wouldn't be play. He'd be playing at least 20, 20, 20 something minutes per game, most likely as a backup guard. Uh, you know, a lot of three guard lineups potentially, but three guard lineups are going to be tough with Nemhard and Hickman and Quinterly. I think Venters is going to have to play a lot. I think maybe Stromer uh, mix, mixes in there as well. Again, I said this a lot, a lot of the same conversation we have with Toussaint. Quinterly is a good defensive player, even at his size. And he is a good three-point shooter, although he's been a bit inconsistent throughout his career. But for the most part, he has been a very solid three-point shooter. And he's got a lot of experience. I mean, a very veteran guy. He started his college career in 2018. So to me, those are the kind of things that I think you look for. If you, you know, you do a character test, you, you assess it out. If you feel like, hey, this is the guy who's going to come in, willing to compete for his role, willing to uh, settle for a, a bench role if that's what he ends up getting, uh, and, and willing to kind of be whatever you need him to be. If you feel confident in that, you know it's only a one-year thing, so he's not, he's not slow in the development of Dusty Strom or anything like that. I think you feel pretty good about this. I think this would be a solid addition for Gonzaga. You want to add talent to your program. At, at any point, you have the ability to add somebody to your team who is clearly going to be in your eight-man rotation. And for Gonzaga, it feels like they could make some ads on the peripheries, make some ads for guys who aren't necessarily going to actually crack that rotation, but then you just risk losing those guys a year later. Quinterly, there's no worry about that because he's only got one year of eligibility left, and he's good enough that he will be in the rotation. It pushes some minutes for Dusty Stromer, which is a bit of a risk, I suppose. Uh, but at, you want to compete for a national championship, and adding a third guard like Javon Quinterly puts you in that conversation. Well, we're going to pivot here, switch gears, and end up talking about Vani Ejim, who is one of 12 players named to Canada's senior women's national team as they compete in the FIBA America Cup. We'll talk more about what that is and what her role will be after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there is no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. Zag fans, perhaps you want to make a bet regarding Marco Gonzalez and the Mariners or Eli Morgan and the Guardians. Either way, do not miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball.
right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners checking us out on YouTube. Very much appreciated to each and every one of you. We got more transfer portal coverage. We got some women's scheduling updates coming up, and we got some more kind of fun off-season content coming your way as the calendar flips to July next week. All right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. For now, though, I want to talk about Yvonne Ejim. Gonzaga's best player last season, a player who's returning for next year uh, alongside the Trunk Twins, Eliza Hollingsworth, everybody else coming back, should be a really, really good women's basketball team next year. Ton of continuity for Lisa Fortier. We've talked about that a handful of times on the podcast for you everyday listeners. But right now I want to celebrate Miss Ejim because this is a tremendous accomplishment. She has been named one of 12 players on the Canada Senior Women's National Team. They're playing in the FIBA, FIBA AmeriCup championship that it starts on july 1st through july 9th the tournament will run in leon mexico uh, and the canada is in group b they'll be playing mexico puerto rico colombia and the dominican republic and here's the deal here's how this works so the america is to help determine who's going to go to olympic qualifiers that's why i say this is a big deal this is not a for fun round robin tournament just kind of made up of whatever players they could find that represent their country This is to make it to the dang Olympics. That is the goal here. And Canada selected Vani Ejim as one of the 12 players that they want to help them get to the Olympics. The USA has already qualified and will advance. Well, the USA has already qualified for the qualifiers, if that makes sense. The best performing non-USA squad in this America Cup tournament will also advance to the Olympic qualifiers, which are taking place in February of 2024. So for Canada, they need to finish, they need to win this thing or finish second in this thing in order to advance to the Olympic qualifiers again in February. Canada finished fourth in this event in 2022. That was their best finish since 1986. They're currently ranked fifth. So they're not necessarily expected to make that jump, but they're right in the thick of it. They, they're right there. And this team is stacked. I went through the roster. Every single player on this team played high major college basketball, except Egypt. She's the only one who didn't play high major college basketball. Again, it's a semantics thing. Gonzaga is obviously an incredibly elite program, not just on the men's side, but of course on the women's side as well. But still, that's a really big accomplishment for her. Here are the schools of the other players on this team. Most of them have graduated. Mind you, Vani is one of the youngest players on the team, although she is not the youngest player on the team. But you have Kayla Alexander, who went to Syracuse, now plays for the Minnesota Lynx in the WNBA. Shay Colley is a former Michigan State player. Aliyah Edwards is a UConn player. Always good to be teammates with somebody who went to or is going to UConn. Uh, Nira Fields is a former UCLA player. Taya Hansen's former Oregon player. Sammy Hill, Virginia Tech, former player. Uh, Aislinn Koenig from North Carolina State. Emily Potter from Utah. Uh, Cassandra Prosper from Notre Dame. Marissa Russell from Louisville. And... Silas Swords from Michigan. Silas Swords is 17. So she is a incoming player at the University of Michigan. Tremendous for her to be on this uh, roster in this conversation as well. But for Vani, we've seen so many women's players already take these leaps and, and represent their countries. The Twunk, Trunk Twins, of course, are a prominent example of that. They played in a three-on-three tournament. Um, 
in the Southeast Asian Games in Vietnam, representing Vietnam is the second year in a row that they've done that. Uh, and they've come back and talked about the experience and and feeling the love from the fans and and kind of having this like cult following in Vietnam and, and helping raise the, the kind of uh, awareness around women's basketball, especially in these Southeast Asian countries where it's not particularly popular yet. And so for them to kind of have this role as almost ambassadors is is one of the coolest things that I think Gonzaga is able to do and offer is getting students, international students in and getting them to kind of play on this big stage and, and help represent their countries. And for Vani, getting a chance to represent her country uh, in the America, which is a really big deal and potentially in the Olympics. I mean, it's not out of the realm that she will be an Olympian with Canada uh, soon in the next year, like that could realistically happen if they do well in this tournament in early July. So uh, games are mostly going to be streamed in Canada on Sportsnet. So it's gonna be a little bit tough to find them, which is something that is a little bit unfortunate, but we'll try our best to, uh, to have updates. I am almost positive the Zags women's basketball Twitter account at Zag WBB is going to have as many updates as they possibly can. I'm sure the Instagram account will have updates as well. So we'll continue to keep you posted there, but I've gone on record of talking about this before with the women's team, but we've seen them, so many of them participating in events this summer. Again, I've talked about the Trung Twins in the Southeast Asian Games. We had a handful of, of women on the team participating in the three-on-three tournament uh, at the Olympics uh, facility in Colorado, including Jim, including Brenna Maxwell. Uh, we've seen a handful of other uh, women's basketball players doing doing various other things this summer as well. And then, of course, they're going to go on their international trip. We talked to uh, Callie Stokes, a guard on that women's team, in a podcast a few weeks ago. And she talked about how excited they are to go to Greece and to go to uh, the Czech Republic and all the places that they're getting a chance to go and play basketball this August. So Coach Fortier is really putting together a team that has a lot of uh, world traveling, a lot of international flair. They're getting a chance to play internationally. They're getting a chance to play internationally. Uh, Uh, not just as a team, but individually, many of the players are getting a chance to do that. And it just strikes me as something that's really going to help this team be truly bonded when they get together. I mean, they're already so much chemistry on this squad already because they have so many returnees. They're not losing very much talent from last year's roster. Michaela Williams uh, hit the transfer portal and went to Cal and that was a tough loss for them. But for the most part, everybody else is, is really kind of sticking it out and, and, played together last year and is going to play together in over the summer or has in some cases. And so I think that we're looking at a team that didn't quite reach the threshold they wanted last year. They had a really good season, but they got underseeded as a nine seed and they lost in that first round game to Ole Miss. And I think they're ready to, to prove some people wrong. And the WCCs will see how it is next year. Portland lost a ton of talent after being good last year. BYU's out of the conference. So I think I think the WCC is going to be pretty weak on the women's side next year, which is not good for Gonzaga. They're going to have to play really well in the non-conference. And we're going to talk about some of the non-conference games on their schedule later this week. In fact, on Friday's episode of Locked on Zags. But for now, I think we we celebrate Vani getting this incredible opportunity to represent her country. And we also celebrate the women's team being so willing to to have these women playing in various different places across the country and getting these opportunities because I think more than anything else it's really going to help them be prepared uh, for what should be a really exciting season uh, in Spokane next year. Well Chris Gerlofson has thoughts. He has thoughts about BYU's departure from the WCC and the rumors surrounding Gonzaga and the Big 12. We're going to hear how he feels in an exclusive interview coming up right after this. All right, folks, finally closing out the show, talking to Chris Gerlison. This is an interview I conducted with him 
uh, on the Locked on College Basketball podcast. So very shortly here, we're going to go over to that. Uh, on YouTube, you're going to notice the background changes for it being a different show. But uh, for those of you on the regular audio platform, it should sound totally normal. And we're going to talk to Chris Golson about uh, conference realignment and, and how that conversation has really impacted every school in America, especially going down to the WCC. So all that coming up right after this. Wanted to ask about uh, the coaches that you coach against in the WCC, because one of the things that has always fascinated me, especially lately, about the WCC is there's this, this seems like a big disparity in, in the types of coaches or, or the, the stories of each of the coaches. You obviously have two coaches who've been there forever in, in Randy Bennett and Mark Few, who are, you know, Mark Few is a future Hall of Famer. Randy Bennett is, should be, or is a very underrated uh, longtime head coach. And then you have some, some kind of Younger guys who who have moved up, like Stan Johnson at LMU, Shantae Leggins at UP, uh, and then of course you have some some older coaches who have kind of come back to the WCC level. You have Steve Lavin, uh, you have Lorenzo Romar, of course at Pepperdine. You have Herb Sendek at Santa Clara. And it feels like you have some like very analytically approached teams. You have some teams that are a bit more old school. It feels like a, a very widespread of different coaching styles in the conference, and I just wonder how that impacts you in terms of preparing for these teams and then also kind of just learning from the various coaching styles that you get to go up against in the conference? Yeah. Number one, I think, um, you know, I know you have a great appreciation for the league, but um, I, I grew up on the East coast. So the WCC games used to be the game that you turn on late at night yep. and kind of be half watching it as you fall asleep. And um, since coming to the West coast eight or nine years ago, um, I've just been amazed in, in, um, just enthused at the level of coaching in this league. And it's done nothing but get better since I've yeah. come to the West Coast. And um, so to give you kind of a long answer, um, there are no off nights. Yeah, you, know, you go from top, top to bottom in this league and you have coaches who have achieved at the highest of high levels. Um, you have guys who are just kind of getting their chance and breaking in, myself being one of them. Um, but, you know, there's a tremendous differing uh, styles across the board, um, but everyone is a challenge in terms of getting ready to play. And, you know, when I first came to the West Coast, you used to be able to point out a game or two where mm -hmm. as long as you showed up and played, right. you were going to win. And, and there are none of those nights now. Um, and that's a credit to the to the schools in our conference and the, the coaches. Um, it is a, a tremendous league from top to bottom and, and one that, um, I don't think it's enough recognition uh, on a national landscape in terms of just the quality of coaching. Well, I'll continue to do my best to bang the drum for the oh, WCC. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I do, I do want to switch to talking about realignment. Uh, obviously, another huge talking point uh, in college, I was going to say college basketball, but really in college football and college athletics uh, in general over the last couple of years. Uh, we have BYU headed to the Big 12. That is a, a known thing, a known way that conference realignment is directly impacting the WCC. We, of course, have heard rumors about Gonzaga being involved with the Big 12. We've heard rumors about Gonzaga being involved in the Big East in the past. Like they've been in they've been in rumors around conference realignment for at least five years because they were uh, rumored to go to the Mountain West about that long ago. So so this has continued to happen with them. We've seen big moves like USC and UCLA and, and potential future moves and conversation about San Diego State for seemingly months and months and months now. And I wonder just how how much attention you give those conversations, like how much it's on the radar for you, or is it kind of just, hey, we'll prepare for who's in our league and we'll just kind of wait and see what happens after that? I try to stay out of all that stuff because, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many reports that come out and, mm -hmm. and 
you know, one of the assistants would come in the office and say, hey, did you see this about Gonzaga mm -hmm. or did you see this about San Diego State? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, probably three out of four times it's not true, you right. know, what's reported on. And, and so, um, you know, I, I will say this, Gonzaga being in the West Coast Conference is good for the University mm -hmm. of San Francisco and it's good yeah. for the rest of the conference. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I definitely do not want to see them go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I love the challenge of, of having the opportunity to play the Zags and coach few mm -hmm. um, twice or three times in a year. Yeah. Um, and it's good for our league. And so I, I'm trying to keep my fingers crossed and, mm -hmm. and selfishly hope that they stay in the WCC for the greater good of our league, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we'll kind of take it day by day as it comes. Sure. But, um, you know, as I said, we, we specifically don't want them going anywhere. What about BYU? Because they obviously weren't, uh, you know, we're only in the conference for about a decade or so. And certainly I think had hopes of, of having a bit more success in terms of winning conference championships, but uh, a program that obviously has a, a ton of history, a ton of success, uh, a huge fan base, a huge student population, uh, all of, you know, all of that. And now they're headed to the big 12 uh, certainly makes sense for them from a football perspective to, to be back in a power conference or to be in a power conference. But uh, obviously a program that that had a fair amount of success here and seems like a, a team that's going to be uh, hard to replace in the WCC just in terms of, of what they brought that was unique compared to other schools that were in the conference. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see kind of what their transition looks like, right, going from mm -hmm. the WCC to the Big 12. I know um, they have really good resources. Uh, Mark Pope's a, a really good coach. Yeah. A uh, really good person, and and I anticipate them, you know, figuring it out and achieving at a high level uh, over the next few years. But yeah, it's going to be a hit for our league um, with them departing. But you know, if you look at where they finished in the league, it's mm -hmm. not like we're losing a team that has been a perennial, you know, one right. or two team in the league. But mm -hmm. they've done a lot uh, in terms of just providing a, a really good. Uh, level of opponent and you know we'll see what the league decides to do here moving forward whether we add another school or, or whether we keep it at uh, the point that we're at right now. Yeah that was kind of what I was going to ask too I, I, I think it's safe to assume that that head coaches don't have much of any say of, of decisions like this but I'm curious just like if it's something, I know, I know you said you kind of try to stay out of it, but if it's something where you are paying attention to to schools, you know, in other local conferences like the WAC or or anywhere else that may Big West that may end up being in the in the conference, or if it's kind of like, hey, when we hear something, we'll 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 start to prepare from that. But at this point, it's kind of just wait and see. Yeah, that's that's kind of the attitude I'm taking. I think you know, if if I was choosing who who to add to the league, I don't have a specific school, but I would want to add someone that's going to have a chance to elevate yeah. um, our profile. You know, and I, I think that's probably the the most basic way to put it. Mm -hmm. uh, not just add a team to add a team, add a team that's going to have a chance to really elevate our league as a whole. Um, because I want to see the league continue to grow and, and be recognized on a national landscape, as I, as I said earlier. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I really appreciate your insight, your expertise. Really looking forward to, to watching the San Francisco team next year. And I will definitely uh, be nervous for every time that they're playing the Zags because I think this is a program that's going to make some noise next year. Thanks again. I appreciate it, Andy. Good to, good to catch up with you. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you again to Coach Chris Gerlison for joining me on Locked On College Basketball. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with him. Looking forward to doing more fun interview type stuff on Locked On College Basketball and hopefully here 
on Locked on Zags as well. So again, shoot me your suggestions. If you have them, leave comments on YouTube, leave reviews on iTunes, whatever it may be. I appreciate every single one of you for checking out the show, whether you are one of those coveted everyday listeners, whether you are somebody who is listening for the first time, sixth time, 10th time, whatever it may be, uh, go hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you have not done so yet is very, very much appreciated. Thank you all for listening. More fun stuff to close out the week. And of course, fun stuff coming your way as we get into July next week as well. But of course, as always, go Zags.